Weaker than anticipated numbers from China for investments, production and retail. They've all added to concerns about the speed of the global recovery. We'll hear how NAB has revised the forecast for growth for that part of the world. But again, the expectation is things will bounce back. It just might start a bit later. That's obviously the case in Oz. So today's RBA minutes are going to be less useful this time around. But what about the US as well? Could a slower recovery delay tapering? Well, that really depends on who you listen to. It's Tuesday, the 17th of August, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a minor recovery in the US dollar, up just 0.1% after that big fall we saw on Friday. The Aussie, though, is down almost half a percent, down below 73.4 US cents again. The Kiwi dollar not falling as much and managing to stay above 70 US cents. The pound and the euro both down around 0.2%. And bond yields, 10-year treasuries down further, losing another two basis points to 1.26%. That's 11 points lower than it was uh, at the start of last week. Uh, But we're not seeing the same movements in bonds in Europe. Whilst equities, the Nasdaq has lost 0.2%, even with Apple climbing 0.9% to a new high. The S&P and the Dow up 0.3%, mostly towards the end of trade. The big falls have been in Europe. The FTSE 100 is down 0.9%. The Eurostox 50 lost 0.6%. The CAC current down more than 0.8%. And more falls in oil. Brent and WTI losing 1%. Brent below $70 now. WTI at 67.40, although it did fall to 65.81 for a short spell overnight. So still a lot of volatility and not much confidence, it's fair to say. Well, let's talk to a man who exudes confidence for some reason. Uh, Ray Attrell, head of FX strategy at NAB in Sydney. So, Ray, yesterday Tapas talked briefly about how some were concerned about the delay to the uh, the recovery, the speed of the recovery, and the uh, that coming off that big slide in consumer confidence that we saw in the US on Friday, and whether that could delay tapering by the Fed. Uh, and yet, uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal today, Fed officials weigh ending asset purchases by mid-2022. Uh, in other words, you know, they want to lift rates uh, soon after that, so a faster taper. Uh, so no wonder markets are confused. They're being pulled, uh, mixed messages pulling them in all directions at the moment. Um, good morning, Phil. Yes, we are. And on those, that, that Fed speak, um, just hearing what some of the the known hawks on the uh, FOMC have been saying overnight is pretty clear what the source of that uh, that Wall Street Journal story is. We've had um, Eric Rosengren, for example, saying that um, he'd like tapering to end by the middle of next year. We've had um, Bob Kaplan, who I would mark as probably, along with James Bullard, as the most hawkish FOMC member, saying he wants tapering to be at $15 billion a month. So that would end us in about eight months. And then Bullard himself has been out saying he wants tapering to be at the rate of $30 billion a month. Um so that would mean that it would be uh, it would be over um, early next year or within four months at least. But uh, I think the point to say is that these are not representative of the current majority thinking on the voting members of the FOMC at least. So I think right. you take them with a, with a significant uh, grain of salt. So, um, but as to whether or not you know there'll be a. A delay to, ta- I mean, obviously, delay to tapering. We haven't fired the starting gun on, on tapering as no. yet. But as you say, we do have a town hall from uh, from Jay Powell. I, I think it's actually very early, probably about the time that we're recording this tomorrow morning before he actually speaks. So those uh, those headlines will be hitting uh, the incoming um, Australian market tomorrow. But um, and I think the message there is probably going to be, you know, maybe more emphasis on this maximum employment. Um, the part of the dual mandate in which respect. Um, I know I'm not sure that some of these comments that we're hearing from the more hawkish members are going to be echoed. But, um, but yes, as mm. for markets, it's certainly you know a more cautious ap- um, 
attitude is certainly there. And I think uh, probably first and foremost, I would say that the weakness that we saw in the China numbers mm. um, yesterday uh, are probably the biggest fundamental driver of that uh, cautious start to the week. Yeah, but it's not just China, is it? Because if we look in the United States, obviously COVID numbers are still rising. In fact, if we look at those states where the uh, uh, the, the cases are the highest, uh, and surprisingly, the hospitalizations are people who haven't been vaccinated, almost as though there's some sort of connection. But if you look at the uh, Google Mobility reports, uh, retail visits uh, 4% below pandemic levels, down 14% below in Florida. And if you look at the TomTom traffic index and see how much people are traveling, uh, that is well down. So the morning peak in Miami, for example, uh, is uh, well down on what it was two years ago, but also quite a bit down on where it was last year. And then we had the uh, the Empire State Manufacturing Index uh, overnight as well, which is well, well down. So put all of this together. None of this is a sign of, of, of an economy which is firing on all, all cylinders, is it? No, it isn't. I think it certainly plays to that sort of peak growth concern that, that, that was starting to do the rounds even before we had that near record plunge in the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence reading last Friday, um, you know, to put that Empire Manufacturing Survey in context, I mean, it is significant. It's the first of the regional uh, PMIs that we get for the month of August, and, and the fall was a lot bigger than expected, 183 down from 43 in July. But remember that 43 um, was a record number, and it was very much an outlier relative to the other PMIs. But, um, that said, the new orders component, uh, 14.8, is a five-month low. Prices paid still highly elevated, so it's got that little sort of stagflation-y whiff, around, whiff about it in that sense, at least. So, um, yeah, so I think it certainly plays with the grain of concerns that, uh, you know, whether the US economy is, is going to maintain the momentum that we saw in the second quarter, at least. And, uh, and probably the other thing to note there, and, and we'll talk about the China numbers now, is that, you know, China PMIs do tend to lead US PMIs and global PMIs by a couple of months. And, and clearly, we've got... Um, you know, evidence of slowdown, evident in the most recent uh, China PMIs. So, you know, the read-through to uh, to softer global numbers um, seems to be very much in evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, which is probably why Justin Trudeau's just called this snap election in Canada for next month instead of it's uh, supposedly scheduled for 2023. He, he obviously reckons this is the best things that are going to be for a while. Uh, so can't blame him on that, perhaps, because that's what politicians do. But let's look at China because, uh, yes, that slowdown there, retail sales, industrial production, fixed assets, Asset investment all weaker, quite a bit weaker than anticipated, and the unemployment rates ticking up a little as well. Uh, that's uh, whatever one beyond a trifecta is. It's not none of it's looking good. No, it isn't. And in fact, I haven't caught up completely with the news, but I've seen some headlines overnight with China pledging some support for the labour market. Their uh, what they call their surveyed unemployment rate picked up to uh, five point one. Uh, from 5%. Um, yes, all of those numbers, as say industrial production, retail sales, fixed asset investment, all well down on the prior month's readings and all significantly weaker than expected. And when you really sort of, you know, get the pointy heads, don't include myself there, to sort of really do the, the sort of seasonal adjustment and look at the month-on-month numbers, um, you know, the numbers are even, are even worse and things like fixed asset investment is actually negative in year-on-year terms, in real terms at least. So, um, so clear signs there. Um, you know, the, the, you know, the saving grace, not the really saving grace, but the caveat there is that we know that the, the spread of COVID and the, um, you know, the, the, the zero 
um, COVID policy that China continues to pursue, you know, has meant that uh, you know big chunks of the economy effectively were shut down. Obviously, that um, you know the closing of that port at um, is it Ningbo Shushan? At, uh, forgive Great. my pronunciation, well listeners, but um, <laughs> is obviously- compare and contrast with the one I gave yesterday, and choose whichever one you want. <laughs> but certainly that, and obviously that, you know, the, the parts of China will be set by floods. Um, and, uh, isn't that become a theme? Germany, Japan. Um, and now China and uh, ongoing uh, chip shortages as well, constraining production. So, you know, in that sense, yeah. it's perhaps we shouldn't be too surprised that the numbers have been um, quite as weak as they have. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a, there isn't a read through to the rest of the world. So. Right. And, and NAB has revised its growth forecast for China, hasn't it? Taking it down for this year, uh, but pushed it back up for the next two years. Well, that's right. So I think, you know, in that sense, we're sort of saying, you know, as we are in many parts of the world and, and no more so than down here in Australia, you've got no choice but to take something of an axe to your near-term growth outlook, given the, the impact of, uh, of COVID, but uh, still believing that it will be inherently temporary and as that we come out of of various lockdowns, we will see very vigorous bounce backs, which has been the you know the history of most countries to date, at least. But um, but we've seen enough certainly to shave you know uh, at least half a percent off our growth forecast for China for the uh, for the calendar year 2020, so, 2021, Should I say? Isn't that going to make inflation worse? I mean, if we get less supply of stuff that people want, then obviously prices are going to rise. Well, that is the risk, at least. And say so going back to that Empire Survey, the prices paid reading of seventy six point one is uh, still very very elevated and close to. Uh, to record highs. Um, I think some of the signalling from the um, the China National Bureau of Statistics yesterday was that producer prices are going to remain highly elevated uh, for some time and producer prices in China do have some read through to uh, to global inflation pressures. So, um, so despite the evidence of, of slowdown, it is very premature to think that uh, what follows from that is an easing in price pressures, and if anything, you know, quite the opposite for the time being. Now, normally we'd be perusing the uh, the RBA minutes, which are out this morning, but uh, they're from the August the 3rd meeting. I mean, they're going to be very out of date. I mean, we weren't at, uh, what was it yesterday, 466 infections in New South Wales, curfews extended in Victoria, ACT in lockdown. We were expecting none of that back on uh, August the 3rd, were No, we? absolutely. So I think these, uh, you know, we always say that the minutes, you know, lots happened since the minutes. They shouldn't be interesting, but there's always something in there that uh, that someone will find to say about them. But uh, but in this particular case, yes, remember the August third uh, meeting was the one where, um, the RBA said that we are going to uh, persist with the decision that we'd taken at the July meeting to taper our QE bond purchases from $5 billion to $4 billion a week, commencing in September, um, but also you know, implying there was a lot of flexibility there. But we've also heard from Governor Lowe since then. We've had the statement of monetary policy that there are forecast revisions in a positive direction. Um, so it would be, be surprising to be surprised, I suspect, by the minutes today. A little bit more locked on on things like the labour market numbers that we're going to get later in the week. Yeah. Talking labour markets, uh, we get the labour market data for the UK as well. Uh, now, given that the, the UK is the, the world's petri dish, we've described it as such, haven't we? Given they're lifting almost everything despite their high infection numbers because lots of people have had the jab. So uh, has that transferred to jobs? I mean, they're still in furlough, aren't they? So it's going to be more interesting once the furlough scheme ends. Uh, but I think anything coming out of the UK is interesting, given that they are a bit of an experiment. Yeah. 
No, that's that's for sure. But uh, but as you say, the furlough scheme still runs. I think it ends formally at the end of September, doesn't it? So it's going to be very difficult. Um, you know, as it is in in the US, obviously, where the um, pandemic unemployment assistance in a lot of states runs through the end of September, even though it's been uh, cancelled early in, in many uh, in many states at least. So so the labour market numbers in the UK have certainly been surprising um, on the upside, as have wages. I mean, the last three-month year-on-year running at about 6.6% and expected to be north of 7% in the numbers that we get today. Um, you know, and the unemployment rate was down to, what, 4.8% or expected to be sort of unchanged at 4.8%. But once the furlough scheme ends, um, I know Gavin and Dave and, and looking at the UK numbers thinking that once that scheme ends, it wouldn't be surprising to see the unemployment rate popping straight back up through 5%. So, uh, so interest in the numbers, yes. But um, as I say, I think we need to see the end of that furlough and what happens next yeah. to really get a proper read on the strength or otherwise of the labour market. Well, US retail sales today, they're going to be interesting, obviously, because we'll see how much demand there is. No, absolutely. I think that, and all the more so, obviously, because of that plunge in the consumer confidence numbers. So, um, you know, the numbers are expected to be sort of close to flat, um, you know, either on the headline numbers or the sort of more, the core numbers that strip out some of the more volatile items. But um, I think what we call the whisper numbers in terms of where the market might be positioned uh, is probably to the downside of those consensus expectations. But I think they are the most important uh, piece of US economic news we're going to get this week. Yeah, for sure. Great. Thanks for your time, Ray. Catch you again very soon. Will do. Thanks, Phil. And we'll tell you what Jerome Powell had to say this time tomorrow morning on tomorrow morning's edition of The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you then.